I love you guys. It's good to be back with you. feels like it's been ages since I have uh, taught. And uh, you can tell Andy and I are getting to be better friends because you can joke about things like my wedding ring and me forgetting that. He was gracious enough to let me teach tonight. Man, I'd miss teaching. And uh, we'd arrange the semester so after I got married I wouldn't have to. But he said, you know what you want to teach tonight? Go ahead. And I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, I'm always astounded. I'm always grateful at one thing the Lord's done in my life that I can can obviously and straightforwardly say is supernatural, and that is the love that he's given me for his people. And uh, I love Tyler, and I just met him tonight. I don't even know him. But it is good to be with the body. It's good to be with people that you love. Amen? Yeah, God is good. What are you doing this summer? You got plans? I hope so. Here's another question. What are you doing after graduation? Are you tired of that one yet? Huh? I used to, I'm going to be honest, I used to hate that question. Even this summer question. Yeah? You guys are chatting back there like you get that a lot, huh? Yeah. People start asking that sophomore year. Those kind of questions don't end. When are you going to get married? After you get married, when are you going to have kids? After you have a kid, when are you going to have another kid? Uh... <laughs> Okay, those questions go on and on. I, uh, man, I gotta admit, sometimes I have a bad attitude about them. They're just dreadful for me to answer. So maybe you're happy to answer those questions. You've got an awesome internship this summer and you can't wait to tell everybody about it. You're gonna brag about it to that guy that asks you and everyone else that'll listen. We get asked a lot, what's next, huh? And uh, what, what, I tell you what I often get. I just want what God wants, Tanner. I don't know. I just want what God wants. That sounds really noble, doesn't it? That's hard to, hard to argue with. Oh, man. That guy, he just wants what God wants. That's, uh, that sounds really noble. It sounds really informed. Actually, it's fairly ignorant. And uh, often it's just a cop-out, isn't it? Obviously, I mean, I just want what God wants for my life. Like, you're just an awesome Christian. Because I, I, I say that uh, in introspect, too, because I've said that. Uh, directions, decisions, they're, they're hard, aren't they? They're difficult to make. Uh, I mean, for instance, do I come to Cross Life tonight? Do I not come to Cross Life? It's been a long week. I've got things going. Uh, I'm tired of Cross Life. Uh, that gal wasn't tired of it. She was... <laughs> Whoever let out that shriek when Andy said it was the last cross life, praise the Lord. I wish we had more responses like that. But uh, even whether I come to cross life, where am I going to eat dinner tonight? Applebee's, uh, Burger Bob's, or Olive Garden? Olive Garden. Why? It's new. I haven't been there yet. I think I'll go there. Okay, these kind of decisions that we plague. I have to meet up with young men and they ask, where do you want, you, Tanner, can you get lunch? I say, yeah, I'd love to get lunch. Where do you want to get lunch? Oh, no, Tanner, you pick. I don't, no, you pick, man. Well, I don't, you know, I just, I, well, I don't know. What's your favorite place? Well, I really like this, but I mean, even the little tinker kind of decisions anymore, right? Because there's so many options. There's so many different things do we have. You know, uh, even when you go to that restaurant trying to make a decision about what you're going to eat, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the menus at those places. You know what uh, we joke that we do sometimes is if you want to give your buddy more time, you just ask him what kinds of salad dressing they have. Because they're going to list off about 16 kinds of salad dressings that they have. Listen, this world is full of choices. We have more choices today than we know what to do with. Uh, that's not always what we're asking when we talk about God's will, is it? That's not necessarily what we mean, but it is sometimes what we mean. And I remember being afraid of God's will, especially at a younger age. I thought, if I know God's will, I'm not going to like it one bit. It's probably going to make me work where I don't want to work. It's probably going to make me marry who I don't want to marry. It's probably going to make me live where I don't want to live and do the things I don't want to do. Uh, I'm probably going to break my leg in my senior season, not be able to play football. I'm probably going to have a terrible life. I'm probably going to end up as an impoverished missionary in a third world country, and I'm going to hate it. You ever been there? Yeah? Me too. But imagine what those kind of things say about our God. 
what they say about the character of our God. If God's will is that backwards, imagine what they say about the character of God. I've been there. But imagine what that implies about the good God that we serve. And tonight we have the great pleasure of addressing one of the most common questions in humanity. What do I do next? Where do I go? Who do I marry? What do I eat? What kind of salad dressing do I have on my salad? Let me put it this way for Christians. What is God's will for my life? Huh? Any of you wonder that? You probably have. I know I have. I do often. Uh, let me backtrack. I don't do that often. I used to do that often. God has graciously helped me understand and see as well. And I pray that by the end of this lesson tonight, uh, you'll be able to walk away saying, this is God's will. I know God's will. And this isn't a, it's not really a trivial matter in scripture, is it? Jesus taught the disciples to pray, uh, thine will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did Jesus pray in the garden on that last day? Not my will be done, but yours. So it's a pretty important thing, isn't it? We see it all over the pages of Scripture. I remember when I was getting my iPhone, I couldn't decide, do I get a 32 gig? Do I get a 16 gig? Do I get an 8 gig? And uh, I used to be, I'm talking, I used to be a really, really indecisive person. And so the lady at the counter asked me this, and I said, I'm going to need a second. And so I did. I stepped away, and this gal was a Christian. And, uh, and so I, I don't remember whether I called some people, but I did some research. What's the numbers? What's some things? That's just kind of how I've been. I came back, and she said, you didn't go pray about that, did you? I said, no, no. of course I didn't pray about that. I think I did pray about that. <laughs> and I lied to her. But anyhow, um, we get really spiritual about a lot of decisions in life, don't we? Right? I mean, even the little one. How about this? If God wills it. Some people just say this after every little thing. In here, we're joking today. I say, and I'm going to go to the bathroom if God wills it. <laughs> I mean, some people just use this as kind of a token phrase, right? I don't think that's what James meant when he said that. Otherwise, I think he would have finished every verse with if God wills it. We've got a lot of choices these days, don't we? Let's say we go to uh, Target to buy a Mother's Day card. Mother's Day is coming up, by the way. All of you who would have forgotten that, I would have too if it wasn't for my lovely wife. But there's a whole wall of Mother's Day cards, isn't there? Or you could go online and search, Google search for Mother's Day cards, and you'll come up with 54.5 million sites. And how many each of those sites have? There's lots of choices. How are we supposed to know what to choose? How am I supposed to know what God's will is? In the paradox of choice, Barry Schwartz talks about a trip to the grocery store. His observations help illustrate this point I'm trying to make. When he went, he found 285 varieties of cookies, 13 sports drinks, 65 box drinks, 85 kids' juices, 75 iced teas, 95 chips and pretzels, 15 kinds of bottled water. <laughs> 80 different pain relievers. There's a problem there. 40 options of toothpaste. Ladies, 150 kinds of lipstick. 360 types of shampoo. Some of you have a hard time understanding that. You don't wash your hair at all. Why would you need 360 kinds? 90 different cold remedies. 230 soups. 75 instant gravies. 275 varieties of cereal, 64 types of barbecue sauce, 22 types of frozen waffles. <laughs> and I warn you, like I do my own self, to be careful not to spiritualize our indecisiveness. I just want God's will for my life. I just want what He wants. I think that uh, in many ways we have more choices than we've ever had in history, not just of salad dressings and not just of frozen waffles, but of lots of things. doesn't make it easy, does it? But let's make it a little bit more personal. Let's bring it into this generation in this room. I'm going to tell you some statistics. In 1960, 77% of women and 65% of men transitioned into adulthood by age 30. What do I mean by transitioned into adulthood? They left home, they finished school, they became financially independent, they got married, and they had a kid. Okay, that's what this study classified as transitioning into adulthood. <clears throat> 75 or 77% of women, so over three quarters, and 75, 
or excuse me, 65% of men. The year 2000, that was 13 years ago, and I guarantee you they've gone down since then. Less than half of women, 46%, and less than a third of men, 31%. Guys, adolescence is a new norm, isn't it? We've created this middle ground. I don't, listen, if I called you a child tonight, you'd be ticked off, wouldn't you? And probably rightfully so, but if I gave you all the responsibilities of adulthood, many of you would feel buried. And I know I would have at your age too. So we've created this middle ground of adolescence where we're in the generation, one book I read, they called it Tinkers. We're tinkerers. We tinker around with this. We tinker around with that. Now there's legitimate reasons for living at home, isn't there? Maybe illness or uh, financial disasters, maybe divorce. So just the fact that you've lived a third of your life doesn't necessarily mean that you're lazy if you don't fit into those categories, right? But it may mean that. It may very well mean that. Listen, this lesson tonight isn't just about knowing the will of God. It's about growing up in Christ, becoming a man or a woman. Some of you are weighed down with anxiety and worry. What's the will of God? Some of you could care less, huh? You're free spirit. You're just rolling on through. Why should we care? What does Scripture have to say about it? Listen to this, Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you do that, though? That's the question that you came here to find out tonight, wasn't it? How do you do that? What's one way? What's one way? uh, I don't even want to say historically. What's one of the ways we do that? How about this one? Let them flow away like water that runs off. When he aims his arrows, let him be as headless shafts. I knew I should have been an archer. (laughs) I knew it, Lord. We laugh because we've done that before. You've probably seen that before. But that's one of the ways. What did Gideon do? What did Gideon do? He put out a fleece. Remember? He said, Laura, I just don't know. I'm a pretty timid leader, and uh, I don't know. Do you want me to do this? And why I used to read that story and interpret that story, I thought that was really noble of him to do that. I thought that was really clever. And uh, boy, I'm, I, think I'm, I think we're all predisposed to be superstitious. I'm especially superstitious, and so I used to do stuff like that. I found out later that wasn't noble at all. That was Gideon doubting and God being gracious enough to help him. Tonight we're going to hopefully help by dividing God's will into two theological categories. If you men and uh, women with those sheets that printed off could stand up and start passing those out. Uh, Matt, Nico, whoever else, why don't you guys split those up, pass those out. Thanks, Nathan. And divide those up into two categories that I hope and I think really will help you discern the will of God tonight. Guys, pass out those sheets. Let's, uh, Let's pray. Let's pray. No, not with your eyes closed and head bowed. Look up. And uh, let's pray like this. Nor does it teach you to pray with your head down. You sure can if you want, but tonight we're going to pray just like this. Lord, help us. Help us. We want to be more like Christ. And uh, we know sometimes that's a slow, laborious process, but God, that's our desire. And would you give us wisdom through your scriptures? Yes, Lord, to help to know your will. And not just to know it, but once we know it, even more so to obey it, Lord. Help us to obey your will. Help us to do your will. We pray this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Okay, the first category you're going to see on your sheet, if you have a sheet yet, is God's sovereign will. Okay, God's sovereign will. It's also known as his decreed will or his secret will. Here's a definition for you. God's sovereign will involves his ultimate complete control over everything. Nothing happens that is not in God's plan. History, listen, history is really the unfolding of God's purpose, which is exactly how, his, how it planned, how he planned it. What's a simpler way to say that? What's God's sovereign will? Look at history. Whatever God wants to happen, happens. You believe that? 
See what the Bible has to say about it. Isaiah 14.24. Isaiah 14.24. Why don't you go there with me? Isaiah 14.24. 14th chapter of Isaiah. Verse 24. Listen to this. The Lord has sworn, saying, Surely... Just as I have intended it, so it has happened. And just as I have planned it, so it will stand. What's God saying? I wanted it to happen and it did. Why? Because I'm God and I planned it that way. Ephesians 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who, listen to this, works all things according to the counsel of His will. What does that mean? Nothing. Nothing, nothing happens outside the sovereign will of God. He brings all things, all things to work in accordance with His will. You're already in Isaiah. Go to chapter 46. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Now look at verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. What a God we serve. This is really something. Whatever he wants to happen, he brings it to pass. He says I'm separating the end from the beginning and things not yet done will come to pass. Everything that God wants to happen, happens. That's God's sovereign will. And what a God we serve. I'm so glad it's that way. I wouldn't have it any other way. I just wish I could remember it was that way sometimes, don't you? I was laying in bed the other night, and uh, Brooke was sick. And uh, finally I woke up, and, and man, I was worried. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Brooke's got a real high pain tolerance. And so when she's not feeling well or when she's in pain, I got concerned and I got worried. And it's the middle of the night and all these scenarios are running through my mind. I'm just being real honest with you. I asked her if I could share this. And I'm sitting there praying, Lord, I don't know what you've got in store, but would you help me to trust? But I didn't. Not really. I mean, I did, but boy, I needed a lot of help. But in God's sovereign will, he brought that about. He brought it about to, to sanctify us and to teach us. And praise God, Brooke's just fine. But uh, it didn't seem like it at the time. That's God's sovereign will. Whatever he wants to happen, happens. Whatever he wants to happen, he brings it about. What about God's sovereign will? Well, you're not commanded to know God's sovereign will. Does that make sense? God doesn't anywhere in Scripture say, know the end from the beginning. Know what's going to happen in the future. You're not expected to know this and, form or, or, and, uh, and even more, you're not in control of this. Who's in control of it? Well, Scripture's made pretty apparent God's in control of it. And I don't know about you, but I'm good with that. <laughs> I'd rather have it that way. Because what does that mean? That like God, it's good. Whatever happens is good. It's good. Now, maybe not good in the common sense of the word good, but it's good in the sense that God willed it to happen. Does sin happen? Yeah. It happens a lot. And we're going to talk about that. But God is good. And so I believe what Romans 8.28 says when it says all things it brings together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And that good conformity to Christ. What's our response? What's our response to God's will? I think John Calvin was pretty insightful. He said it this way, when God closes his holy mouth, I will resist from inquiry. <laughs> Me too, Mr. Calvin. When he closes his holy mouth, I will resist from in- inquiry. But what about us? How do we respond to it? Here's a way to apply Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. What's it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Kind of gives some new oomph to that verse, doesn't it? Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. 
How about the Boston Marathon? Let's get uh, real for a second. Was that God's will? I mean, let's be honest, that was a hideous thing. I don't know if some of you saw footage of that or have been watching that at all, but that was a nothing short of an evil thing. Was that God's will? Yes, God allowed that to happen. Was he responsible for bringing about that evil? By no means. Okay, ever since the fall, we've set in course disaster. And the Boston Marathon is just one of the many, many, many fruits of that. Did God know it was going to happen? Yes. Was he in control? Yes. Was he seated confidently on his throne? Yes. Did he approve of it in the sense that he was pleased with what happened? Absolutely not. God hates sin. I hate sin, but not near as much as God. But even that was within God's sovereign will. How about 1 Peter 4.19? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You think those people are suffering? You think friends and family, you think onlookers are suffering? Yeah, they are. What scriptures say, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If I could speak to some of them, brother, sister, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Now we could stop there, right? We could say, let's pray. And uh, we could finish the night with song. That's God's sovereign will. You came looking for God's will. That's it. Whatever happens is God's will. Any objection? Yeah, you still don't know who you're going to marry, huh? And that's what you came here to figure out, huh? (laughs) I'm just joking with you. There's more. Okay, there is more. God's command will. Some of you looking at your sheet and going, really, is that it? That's all he's got? God's command will. God's command will, also known as his desired will or his revealed will. God's command will is revealed throughout the Bible as laws or principles. It's that aspect of his will to which men are held accountable. Are you supposed to know this? Well, yeah. Good thing you're here tonight, huh? You are held responsible for this will. What is this will? God's command. What is this will? What's God's command will? A lot of you guys are holding it right now. Let's get more specific. This is what uh, Jesus, in his last words to his disciples, told them to teach, isn't it? He said, uh, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe what? God's command will. What's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Love God, love others. Want to know God's command will? Want to know God's will? Love Him first and foremost. It says the, the second is like it, love others. I thought this little chart here would be helpful for you. God's sovereign will and His command will. Okay? Uh, look up on your sheet a little bit from there. God's sovereign will is command will. What's his sovereign will or his secret will? His secret will is known only to him, uh, except as revealed through history or revelation. Okay, Except for the prophecy we have that looks forward and the history we have that looks back, this is secret. What about his command will? He told you, and he's telling you right here. Okay, His sovereign will cannot be resisted or thwarted. His command will can be disobeyed or resisted. His sovereign will encompasses both good and evil, right? Boston Marathon, good and evil. His command will, it involves only that which is good and holy. His sovereign will is comprehensive. It controls all aspects of lifetime and history. His command will is specific. It provides principles for living. His sovereign will, the believer is not commanded to know it or discover what God has not revealed, Okay. That's why I was so confused for so long. (laughs) Command well. Believers are exhorted to know, understand, and obey all that God has revealed. 
you know how to respond to God's sovereign will. It's easier said than done, just like I illustrated in my own life the other night. But how should we respond to God's command will? Ephesians 5.17, you remember this. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. That's the command tonight. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. Why don't you go to Deuteronomy with me? 29.29. 29. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 29, 29. This is really a a verse to hang on to tonight because this encompasses both of what we're going to talk about. It encompasses God's sovereign will and his command will. Look at this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Which is that? His command will, or excuse me, his command will or his sovereign will? Sovereign will, right? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of his law. Okay, both of them here, command and sovereign. So you understand this isn't just a man-made distinction. God does distinguish in his word. Listen, there's some things that are secret. You're just not gonna know them. The things that I've told you, you're responsible for them. While you're in Deuteronomy, go backwards. Go to chapter 11 with me. 11, verse 11. Eleven one. excuse me. Eleven one. I'm looking at that sheet and thinking of Andy a couple weeks ago when he was reading about donkeys, for those of you who were here. Eleven one. You shall therefore love your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. That's his command will. That's how we ought to respond. How should we do it? We always keep it. That's how we respond. But let's get even more specific. Let's walk through a few things that start with S about God's will. Let's walk through, how many is there? Six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven things. Let's get specific. What is God's will? Turn to the New Testament, 1 Timothy. God's will is your salvation. And not only your salvation, but everyone's salvation. Go to 1 Timothy 2.4. This is an incredible verse, and this is, this is really enlightening into the character of God, especially for some of us who are so stalwart on, no, those whom God predestined and ordained, those are the ones who are saved. Amen and true. But here's something about God's desire, His command well, that should be enlightening for all of us. God, our Savior, look to the verse, end of verse 3. God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He desires who? Just you guys? No, all men. All men and women. All mankind, to say it another way. I remember being in Israel last summer, and we were going on a tour. Israel's a, a dark place spiritually. Uh, God says that he is, in his sovereignty, judicially blinded the Jews, and that's pretty obvious when you go over there. But I remember going to one of the possible places of Jesus' crucifixion and burial. It's owned by evangelical Christians who are from England. And uh, is it England, babe? I'm pretty sure it's England, yeah. And uh, they take you on a tour, and while they do, they share the gospel with you. And what that man said stuck in my mind. He said, Peter, when he was preaching in Acts, didn't say, if you would like to be born again, raise your hand. Or if you would like to be born again, come forward. That's not what Peter said. He said, you must be born again. You must be born again. Listen, salvation is not so much an offer as it is a command. God says, you must be born again. He desires you to be saved. Want to know God's will for your life? Start here. If you're here tonight and you're not born again, it's this, that you be born again. You must be born again. Ezekiel 18, 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and rather not that he should turn from his ways and live? Verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. What a statement, huh? I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. There it is again. His will is that men be saved. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but patient. Oh, thank You for Your patience, Lord. But He is patient toward You, not wishing that any should perish, but that each should reach repentance. So what does that mean? It's God's will that you should be saved. How does God save men? Better yet, how does God get the salva- salvation message to men? How does God preach the gospel? 
He uses simple people like you and me in this room. So what does this mean about you? It's also God's will that you preach the gospel, isn't it? Because how will they know unless they hear? Revelation says in the last days there'll be three trumpeting angels in heaven. (laughs) No one's not going to know. But for now, he uses you and me. That means it's God's will that you also preach the gospel. Secondly, God's will is your sanctification. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Back up two books to 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 3. Or chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Anytime you read that in Scripture, you should go... What? What's your will, Lord? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That is, that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. What's God's will? That you get sanctified. Some of the old evangelists used to say, get sanctified or chicken fried. I don't think that's a real effective gospel message, but nonetheless, God's will is that you get sanctified, (laughs) okay? Saved and sanctified, especially here what? Your sexual, sexual sanctification. Why? That you be set apart from the rest of the world. The rest of the world is doing whatever they want over here, right? And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you? If there's no moral compass, if there's no absolute laws, Engage and do whatever you want. Paul says we are among all men to be most pitied. If Christ didn't raise, if he didn't rise from the dead, but God says, no, your will is be sanctified. What's that mean? To be set apart or to be made holy. His will is that you get saved and then that you get sanctified. And that means that you are set apart sexually, that you look different than the rest of the world by yourself, in your dating relationships, in your marriages, all these things. The gong of this drum is going to sound loudly in this room tonight, isn't it? Does this hit home with you? I hope it does. Because of people that want to talk, this is by and large what people want to talk about. When people want to meet up, it is sexual things. It's anywhere from sexual sin and pornography to dating relationships to everything in between. What's God's will that you be sanctified? Let me make it clear. You have no right, you have no stance to ask God's will in other areas of life if you're not sanctifying yourself sexually. That you be sanctified, set apart for a noble purpose. Now I know I'm not trying to beat you down to the ground. I know. I know this is a struggle and I am so encouraged at some of the way you men and women are seeking to war against this. But what's God's will for your life that you be sanctified? God's will is that you be set apart as a picture of holiness to unbelievers. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. Go there with me. Back up to Romans. Go to chapter 12 and verse 2. This picks up right where we left off, doesn't it? Verse 2, let's get one for context. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, therefore what? Paul's developing a a basis all the way from chapter 1 to chapter 11. So I'm going to let you go home and read that. We're not going to do that tonight. Therefore what? Therefore, based on everything else I've said, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world. What's he saying? Be sanctified. Be set apart. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the, what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. In case you wondered, God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm glad. hope you are too. God's will is that you be set apart, that you be sanctified, and that you be a living sacrifice that you present your body up as a living sacrifice. Go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. What else is God's will for your life? You remember verse 17? Do not be ignorant, but know what the will of God is. 
guess what? There's more. It picks up in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What's God's will? That you be filled with the Spirit. I say, wait a second. A few, about a month ago, Tanner, you taught on pneumatology. You taught on the doctrine of God the Spirit, and you said that at the moment you're saved, that the Spirit indwells every true believer. I did say that, and that's true. Okay? You remember that? He convicts, he regenerates, he dwells, he baptizes, he seals, but there's a, a sixth a sixth thing, a, a filling ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's a continual on-working thing. That's a yielding of yourself to God's uh, will, to his work in your life. That's a, a devotion to prayer, to reading, to, to uh, confession of sins, to spiritual disciplines. You want to know what walking in the Spirit is or being filled with the Spirit? Go back on the Cross Life podcast and listen to that. We're not going to dwell on that tonight. But that's God's will that you be filled with His Spirit. That you be filled with His Spirit. Compare that verse to Colossians 3.16. That's meant to be a parallel verse. That's on your notes for you to look at later. Okay? Being filled with the Spirit is synonymous to, to walking in step with the Word of God. You can't be filled with the Spirit if you don't know His Word. God's will is that you're saved, sanctified, a sacrifice, that you're spirit-filled. God's will is that you're submissive. Go to 1 Peter. Go back toward a revelation in your Bible. After Hebrews to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers for the praise of those who do right. For such is the, there it is again, will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is God's will for your life? That you be submissive. Okay, God in his sovereign will has appointed rulers and authorities for you. Verse 17 says, uh, honor the king. He's put up people over you, hasn't he? Right now he's put President Obama in office over you and I. What does that mean? That means that we are, you got it, to submit to him. We're to submit to rulers, to kings, to authorities. We're to submit to parents. Okay, if you're not finance, if you're not independent, if you haven't transitioned into adulthood, as the as the survey said earlier, you're still under submission to your parents. You still need to be listening to what they say. You always need to be listening to what they say. But right now, Scripture says you need to, so far as it doesn't violate God's law, obey what they say. And later on, you're always committed to respect them, to honor them. God's will is that you submit to people, that to, you submit to other believers, to spouses. In the context, again, primarily to kings, who else? That you submit to church leaders. And he's talked about that for a few weeks now. Submission. What a wonderful word, isn't it? He used to really ruffle my feathers a little bit. I'm glad to submit anymore. A fellow wrote to me, uh, Maybe three months ago, he said, my lone wolf tank is empty. So I'm ready to come into to fellowship. I'm ready to be led. My lone wolf tank is empty. Anyone else there? God has called us to submit to one another. He's called us to submit to leaders and authority. That's his will. Uh, later on, it talks about submission from slaves to their masters. You ever wonder about that? Why doesn't the Bible openly condemn slavery? I used to think about that. I'll give you a couple reasons just in passing, I believe. One, because uh, we already struggle with social agendas with the gospel, mixing those up. I think if God would included that, we'd be even more predisposed to saying that the gospel is to flee, free slaves from their masters. It is, but it's to slave, free slaves of sin from their master of sin and Satan in the world. Okay. Two, there was a lot of slaves who were getting saved in the first and second centuries and their bosses weren't. (laughs) 
And uh, probably it wouldn't have been effective for them to go, hey, boss, here's what Paul says. Okay, so God calls them to do what? To submit. And what's that mean for you? You got a job this summer? I hope so. We're going to talk about that later. You better. It means you submit to your boss, huh? Even if he's not a believer, I don't want to say especially, but even if he's not a believer, you submit to him. Why? Because you'd be a great testimony. You go into that workplace and you work hard. You wash windows, boy, you wash those windows to the glory of God. You serve up fries, boy, you serve those fries. You submit to your boss. <laughs> I'm serious now. Find ways to submit. Find ways to submit. Why? Because that's God's will for your life. What else is God's will for your life? You're already in First Peter. Go to chapter 3, verse 17. God's will for your life is also, I'm not going to like this one as much, that you suffer. Verse 17. For it is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the, uh, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, to few that as eight persons were brought safely through the water, Go to verse uh, 1, chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same pers- purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It goes on. One of the themes of Peter is suffering. It's God's will that we suffer. Why is suffering good? Well, one, because God called us to it. But two, because Christ suffered. And I want to be like my master. And three, it sanctifies us. Go, to, go over one more chapter to chapter 5, verse 10. Here's a refreshing breath. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What is the end? Not suffering, but glory. What does suffering accomplish? Well, it helps accomplish the end. It is not the end in itself, but it helps to conform us to the image of Him. And after we've suffered a little while, after we've been pilgrims in this life for a little while, He's going to call us home. Go back to uh, chapter 4, look at verse 13 with me. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Okay? You suffer not as an end in itself, but that at the end you might glory when Christ comes back. I can't wait for him to come back. And I'm glad to suffer on behalf of him, not always. But by the grace of God, by and large, I'm happy to suffer for him. God's will is that you suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 says you don't really have a choice. says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's one of those dogmatic statements in Scripture that says anyone, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anyone and everyone. Philippians 1.29, not, not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. It's been accounted to you. God's will is that you suffer. What else does this mean? It means that you suffer with people who are suffering. It means that you are to be in a body. God's command, there's lots of one another's in God's word, isn't there? And if you're not suffering by yourself right now, there might be someone in the body who's suffering that you need to go suffer with. You might need to weep with them while they weep. You might need to come alongside of them and make sacrifices in your own life, in your own comfort, in your own uh, schedule for them. I can think of several people in the body right now who are struggling and suffering and the body gets a chance to be the body and to go into their life and to suffer with them, to come alongside of them and say, brother, I'm going to weep with you while you weep. If you don't suffer on your own, find somebody to suffer with. It's a peculiar gospel. Isn't this a peculiar call we've been called to? We've been called not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. 
This is so backwards. It's so different from the world, isn't it? Do we tell people this is what they're signing up for? Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way, but Jesus says in Luke 9, the, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they got nests, but the Son of Man didn't have anywhere to lay his head. You know what the will of God is for your life? That you suffer, brother, sister. And if you're not suffering, go find somebody who is. And if you don't know anybody, I can tell you of a few. They're on my heart right now. God's will is that you are saved, that you're sanctified. God's will is that you suffer. God's will is that you submit. God's will is also that you celebrate. Okay, that you celebrate. It doesn't start with an S, it starts with a C, but it kind of sounds like an S in English, does it? <laughs> Weston's going, doesn't start with an S, I'm not going to take it. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. It is appointed unto us to suffer. It's also appointed unto us to celebrate. 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, goes 16. What is this? Rejoice always, Christian. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's another place in Scripture. That's what these are where it says, this is God's will. What is God's will? That you rejoice always, that you pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. In everything. What does that mean based on what we've just talked about? That you give thanks even in suffering. That's why it says rejoice in trials, Christian. God's will is also that we celebrate. When people come in and they've been struggling with sin and we've talked and we've counseled for weeks and they're starting to see some victories, you know what we do? We celebrate. As much as we mourn those defeats, we celebrate the victories. It's important that we rejoice. It's important that as Christians, we be people who are filled with joy. Not necessarily happiness. I don't think that's a New Testament principle. We won't always be happiness I think, or happy. I think happiness is bound up a lot in circumstances, but joy isn't. Joy is a principle for Christians and, and Christians alone. God's will is that you rejoice always. Rejoice in everything. I remember when I went to Laos uh, a couple years ago, I think it was in December, and uh, I have never prayed so unceasingly in my life. (laughs) And uh, I mean, we would go out to these places and we would have this little Google map printout that was just, I mean, you want to talk about finding a needle in a haystack, going to try and find some of these villages to take the word of God to. And I would pray And I would pray. I never talked to God so much in my life. And it's often my prayer now, since going, that I would be more like I was in Laos, where I would just pray and pray, Lord, I don't know where this place is. Lord, that I don't want to talk to that person because, Lord, we need to go. I don't know where to go next. It's God's will that we would rejoice always, be men and women of prayer, that we would pray without ceasing, and that we would give thanks in everything. Those are God's will for you. Let me read a quote to you that's on your sheet by David Platt in an article I read by him. By the way, also, uh, I just referenced these books. I read things by, by Platt, listened to sermons by R.C. Sproul and Al Mohler. There's tons of good resources. Resources are never the problem. Okay, it's usually discipline in finding out things about the Lord. Uh, we yearn for mechanical formulas. We want to find shortcuts to the mind of God. But this is not God's design, or should I say this is not God's will. His ultimate concern is not that you get from point A to point B along the quickest, easiest, smoothest, clearest route as possible. Instead, his ultimate concern is that you and I would know him more deeply and trust him more completely. Isn't that kind of what we've been saying? God's will is that we get saved, sanctified, submitted, that we suffer, that we celebrate. Oh, what a good Lord we serve. Often there's men and women talking about, I just want to be used of God. I just want to do what God wants me to. Let me tell you something. If you will make yourself usable, if you will grow in Christ's likeness, as the old man said, I have found that God will wear you out. Okay, make yourself usable. 
Make yourself usable. You want to know the will of God? We've laid it out tonight. Scripture's laid it out. You say, all these things are great and good and pretty informative, Tanner. I might have learned something. And I agree with what you're saying, but I still don't know who I'm going to marry or where I'm going to work. And let's be honest, that's what you came to find out tonight. So, who should you marry? Well, I thought about putting uh, numbers underneath your seats tonight and doing it that way. (laughs) but I decided against it. (laughs) Let's help. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about vocation first. I want to to clear something up in in Christian language, ministry. Say, I'm going to go into the ministry. I I say this not as a slight or not as a sarcastic or cynical thing, but I really wanted to make a distinction here. The distinction between vocational ministry and ministry. Okay, make no mistake, each and every one of you tonight are in full-time ministry. And you will be in full-time ministry as long as you walk this earth and breathe air. You are full-time ministers of the gospel. Okay, some people are called the vocational ministry. The difference? God has decided to use them to shepherd, to teach, uh, in various occupations to be employed and to earn their wages from being ministers of the gospel. Those are called vocational ministers. If you want to know how you're called or if or how you're called into vocational ministry, talk to Andy or I afterwards. We'd be happy to talk about those things more. But make no mistake, Christian, if you're a Christian here tonight, you are a full-time minister, okay? Every Christian has been given gifts. In fact, everyone's been given gifts, not just Christians. Everyone's got gifts, okay? Some of you in here tonight are great artists. I'm not. At all. I'm pretty good at Pictionary, but that's about as far as it goes. Okay, others of you have uh, great minds and mathematical skills. I used to love math. Okay, others of you in here are great mechanics. God has given you all gifts. And chances are those gifts line up with your vocation in some way, shape, or form. They may not, but they probably do. I talked to way too many kids. Uh, way too many adults, way too many young men and women over at MSU who are in a major because they're going to make money in it. And just look at the pattern. No, no, one, no one's happy because of money. I know you know that. And I know in Engineering 101, they teach you that engineers are the most supreme, uh, elite people in the world. <laughs> they do the same thing with architecture. They do the same thing with business. Actually, they do that with every major at MSU and every college, okay? But what your gifts are are gonna somehow match up with your vocation. Where should you work? I don't know. Where do you wanna work? Maybe that's a question to ask. Here's another one. Where don't you want to work? Where do you not wanna work? What do you not wanna do? Sometimes we make this so uh, uh, complicated. Go home and talk to your grandparents, we're looking for fulfillment in our jobs these days, aren't we? You got to talk to your to grandpa, grandpa Bob, grandpa Dave. I don't know what your grandpa's name is, but go talk to him and ask him if he's fulfilled in his work. He's going to look at you strange, isn't he? <laughs> no, they were concerned about feeding their family, weren't they? They were concerned about staying out of debt. Listen, I don't know where you're supposed to work, but I do know this. The will of God is that you have a job. So get one this summer. Okay? Don't come into our, come into our office and ask if, you know, if we know of any openings. That's fine. But don't say there's no openings in Bozeman. You just don't want to fill the ones that are open. Hey, might want to check your heart if you don't. Okay, there's lots of good jobs around. And uh, men... If you want to be attractive to a gal, start working. Okay, get a job. Most of them don't care where it is. They just don't want to see you playing video games anymore. Okay, get a job. Jobs are important. The will of God is that you get a job. Okay. Uh, Now, furthermore, every Christian's been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. Once you become a Christian, you have specific gifts, and those gifts are to be used in the church at large. Okay, and those gifts can be used in your work to be what? A full-time minister. Gifts work with your desires, and desires work with your job. So ask where you want to work. What do I want to do this summer? 
And if you can't find a job where you want to work, just work somewhere, <laughs> okay? Just work somewhere. Listen to this quote. You see, the will of God is not primarily a place. It's not where should I go or what should I do. It's not primarily a place, John MacArthur says. The will of God is not, first of all, for you to go there or work here. The will of God concerns you as a person. If you are the right you, you can follow your desires and you fulfill his work. I remember listening to a story talk, John MacArthur talking about in a sermon, and this church called him, and they said, We'd like, we, we believe that God has called you to come preach in our church, to come be our pastor. What do you think? And he said, no. They said, well, don't you want to give it some time to think about it and pray about it and see if it's the will of God? And he said, no, I know it's not the will of God. They said, why? He said, because I don't want to. And sometimes, Christians, it's as simple as that, okay? You're saved, you're sanctified, you're walking in the Spirit, you're reading God's Word, you're praying. Now, what do you want to do, right? Go find something you want to do. I want to get too liberal there with that kind of thought, but seriously, to a large degree, go find something that you want to do. If you can't find something you want to do, just go do something, <laughs> okay? Do something, do anything, just do something, okay? Um, now, ready? You can write this one down if you want. What is God's will for your life? You ready for this? God's will for your life is that you get married. God's will for your life is that you get married. Now there's exceptions to this, okay? Some people are called to the gift of celibacy. Some people are not called to be married. But in the history of the church, in the history of humanity, uh, that's not the norm. That's never been the norm. I don't believe it'll ever be the norm. And you want to know how you know if you, you're going to be celibate? In the quietest place, in the, in, the, in the most alone time with yourself, you can be perfectly content. I'm going to get personal with you, with knowing that you're never going to have sex. And you can know that you're not going to struggle with lust the rest of your life on a consistent basis because you're not married. And, and you can do that without bitterness to God or resentment towards Him. Now I would guess that some of you in here are called to celibacy, but not very darn many of you. That's never been the norm. That's just hard, huh? Because some of you in here really want to be married. I get that, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. So the next question is, who should you marry? This is more a problem, uh, not a problem, this is more of an address to you men than you women, okay? Because you men are to go find a young woman and to, and to love her and to care for her and to serve her and to die for her. So who do you marry? Well, let's, let's do some math. I'm kind of a math guy, I don't know about you guys, and uh I heard this. Uh, so I, this was really, really helpful deductive reasoning for me because I'm kind of a math guy. How many people are in the world? About seven, seven billion. Is that right? Yeah, seven billion, give or take a couple million <laughs> people. Okay, now if you're a man, biblically, who are you supposed to marry? Well, woman. <laughs> Good. You guys are really learning tonight. Okay, fortunately for you, 50%, 52% of the men, 52% uh, of that population are men. That takes you down to three and a half billion people. We're making good progress, right? Okay. Next, most of those women aren't marryable, are they? Most of them are already married or they're too young to marry. That takes it down a lot. Now, if you're a Christian man, who are you supposed to marry? Yeah, you got it, a Christian woman. <laughs> You're to be equally yoked, right? So God says the way is narrow, the path is narrow. There's few who are on it. Boom, that cuts it down a lot. I'm not going to put a number on that because I'm not God and I don't want to get in big trouble for pretending to be. But that narrows it way, way down. Now, i to narrow it down more. Uh, God's will is also that you meet who you're going to marry. Okay? It's not biblical that you would marry someone that you're never going to meet in your whole life. Okay? And you only can meet a certain number of people. That makes sense. They said, yeah. Okay, so we're narrowing it down more. 
But that's as far as I'm going to go because that's as far as God's word goes. And I think after that, uh, it's up to you to do something about it, okay? And uh, if you're here tonight and you think that there's no marryable women in this room, you are dead wrong, okay? There's eligible, uh, I can say this is a happily married man. There's eligible, beautiful woman here. Brooke, can I say this? Yes, thank you, baby. <laughs> There's women here that uh, some of you mentioned marry, okay? She's Tanner, now that you're married, you feel like you can say all these things, don't you? Huh? You've been waiting to say these. Now, guys, I wish I would have married at 18. God had me marry when I did. And uh, I wasn't ready at 18. I, was, I don't even think I was saved yet. And praise God, he, he put Brooke into my life when he did. But uh, if I could have married earlier, looking back, I wish I would have. I would have married her three years ago when I met her. Okay. So you start looking now. You start getting ready now. And some of you guys really are. You're taking this seriously. And so praise God, I'm not trying to beat you up. So I'm not going to be that guy that stands up here tonight and says, uh-uh. I, oh, this is Andy and I's desire is to shepherd and help you with this. But delayed marriage complicates career choices, especially for women, guys. There's gals in here tonight. They just don't know what they're going to do, where they're going to go. They want to be guys and gals. Uh, there's a real high biblical calling for a, a woman to be a keeper of a home a maker of a home. There's gals in here who really want to do that. And it's hard uh, when they're right at that transition stage. So I'm going to suggest to you that you know God's will and God's will for you is that you get married unless you're called to celibacy. I'm not telling you be impulsive either, okay? Don't get me wrong. I don't want... uh, Andy and I aren't prepared to do a number of wedding ceremony things tonight. (laughs) But we can do. Andy, you think we're free enough to do some this summer? <laughs> uh, men, it's your job to initiate, to be grace, graceful, to be gracious and thoughtful. Women, now, now I've been addressing them. Women, it's your job to be upfront and honest and truthful with these men. Okay, not flirtatious, not provocative but to be honest. And if a man expresses verbally his interest in you, let me just say this, if he doesn't express his interest in you verbally, don't assume that he's interested in you until he expresses it. And when he does, it's okay to give him an honest answer. It's okay to say, I need more time. But then it's okay to give him an honest answer. Yes, no, but not maybe so. (laughs) And uh, men, then it's our job to humbly say, okay, thank you anyway, or go home and jump on your bed. I don't know, whatever you do to celebrate when she says yes, make a game plan. But let's take some of the guesswork out of it and just be up front with one another. You can talk to Andy and I about these things afterwards. I'm going to wrap it up, but we just wanted to talk to you about some of those things and and let you know what God's will is from Scripture, not because I can tell you where you're going to work or where you should work. Psalm 25, 8 through 10 says this, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. Here's a quote from David Platt again. The will of God is clear from cover to cover in Scripture. From beginning to end, God's will... God wills to be worshipped. He wills for all people to hear, receive, embrace, and respond to the gospel of His grace for the sake of His glory all over the globe. And of course, Jesus is our supreme example of this, isn't He? That would make sense, that Jesus would be the epitome of this. Go in closing to John 4. Go quickly with me to John 4. What would this message be? Where would we be without Christ's example? What's Jesus say in John 4, verse 34? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. I've written in the margin there, what's my food? What's your food? Is it to do God's will? 
Jesus said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. Go over to chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, of, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. Imitation. You want to see some imitation? Watch, uh, watch Rhett and uh, Jack around Andy. I run around and hold on to his pant legs where he's trying to go places. Jesus says, I see the Father do something I can do I can do nothing without him. Christ was 100% God, yes, but he was human. And in his, in his humanity, he relied on God to do God's will. You and I must also rely on God to do God's will. Okay. Verse 30 of chapter 5. I can do nothing on my own, he says. He's just going farther. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Listen, it's a noble thing to seek the will of God, but it's not as mysterious as I used to think. And learn from some of my mistakes. Listen, I say these things about dating and relationships, not because I did it right, but because I made mistakes. And you can do nothing apart from God. This all fits in together, doesn't it? The very same place we started with the will of God in reading and in prayer. Man, why don't you come up and close us in song? I'll pray while they do that. Here's my prayer. Let me read uh, Hebrews 10, 36 through 39. For you have need of endurance. Lord, give them endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, then the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Lord, don't let us shrink back. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lord, let us be of those who have faith and preserve our souls. God, help us to do your will diligently, faithfully, and with great endurance the rest of our life. We want to be more like Jesus, so help us to to do that. We pray this because and through and for him. Amen.